Great job today, Rob. I woke up this morning, it was pouring. I thought, God, thank you, thank you, thank you. We had a great team. I mean, we were going from competition to competition. You know, we got to Axon, and, and, and poor Bob Hofer, he's like, oh, I don't know my shoulder. I said, Bob, the team needs you. Bob knelt down on the ground. He took some dirt, shoved it down his shirt, and he was like, put me in, I'm ready to go. He started throwing that thing, you know. And, and Mike Howard out there throwing with the cornhole, he threw so hard at cornhole, he couldn't come to church this morning. This knocked himself out. It was just... This is crazy. And, and uh, RJ was out there doing skeet shooting. I said, RJ, you and your wife just had a baby. He goes, the team needs me. You know, that's what I love about these guys. Then we get inside and we're doing trivia. And I'm going to tell you something. If you need to know something about a dead president, my man right over here, Brent, is the guy to come talk to. So all of that, and it was, fa I mean, we get into like, you know, they bring up Old Testament characters nobody knows. Bob Hofer's like, I went to school with that guy. I know all about it. I mean, it was like we had everything going by the end of it teams were crying and we were just hoisting the trophy but again it's not about competition it's just about recognizing greatness when you see it but but really um i know for me um I need days like this, and I need days to just breathe, to talk with guys, to connect, to learn more than just a name, and to learn about their lives. And, and even in our little group, all, all kidding aside, like there were things that were shared in our group that I was like, you know, I said to Bob, I said, Bob, I've known you since the first day I came here, and I learned things I didn't know about you, and I love that. And I think they learned things about me. So I'm very, very thankful for it. And I really will echo what, what Pam said. You know, somebody go, oh, it's a, it's a one-day retreat for the women. I mean, what could be the big deal? What could be the big deal? Because what could you encounter? What could happen? What relationship? Um, I always say that the most two important things in life is to know, to know someone and be known. And God wants us to live in that community. So I just really want to encourage you. I want to pray this morning, and we're going to start in Nehemiah uh, chapter 3. Um, very, very thankful. I'm thankful to be the pastor of this church. I'm thankful for this group of people. You are a blessing to me. So let's bow our heads and pray. God, my, my heart, my mind are, are kind of racing through a lot of different things. Not necessarily bad things, but just a lot of things. Lord, um, but I pray that you would calm me, Lord, and I pray that you would focus me, and you would calm out and focus all of us. Lord, I want to pray especially this morning for Jim Steed, because this Wednesday he has a big uh, doctor's appointment to see if this chemotherapy has been working and radiation has been working for him. And Lord, I pray that, Lord, the cancerous growth in his body, Lord, that you would cause that to retreat, Lord. Um, it says that when you move uh, that the evil forces have to surrender and retreat, Lord, and I pray that you would move in Jim, Lord. And God, I just pray that as we open up your word, Lord, that you would stir anew in us, Lord. We're going to tell a story that's thousands of years old, Lord, and we're going to say a bunch of people that no one in the room even knows. But Lord, it's important to remember that there were people that you called and they stood and they built for you. And Lord, um, I would only pray that if it would be in your will, 
that maybe years and years from now, when everyone in this room, including myself, has gone on to glory, that people would look at the record of this church and go, but there were these people. And Lord, I pray that we would leave that to our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren. Lord, a legacy of our love, Jesus Christ, poured out upon generations. Legacy living, Lord. And we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, gang, this morning is going to look a little bit different. Um, I'm going to be totally honest with you. Every pastor who teaches anything will go online to try and review different chapters of the Bible and look at things. And one of the things that's different is like we really go verse by verse through books of the Bible. And you'll hear people say that, well, we go through the Bible, but a lot of churches, they just kind of skip around certain parts. In other words, I remember a church that I'm actually friends with the pastor, and I like this guy, but I kind of disagree with some things. He goes, oh, Eric, we're going through the book of Exodus. And I went, Wow, that's a lot of that's a lot of deep rowing going through the book of Exodus. He goes, Yeah, we covered the book in three weeks. And I went, How long are your minutes? And he goes, 25, 30 minutes. I said, You covered the book of Exodus in 25 to 30 minutes? Three times? And he goes, Yeah, we did it. And I remember thinking, I don't know, brother, can you really go through something that intense, that deep? I don't even know if Jesus teaching himself if he could say, I don't know that I could do that. That's a lot. Nehemiah has got some chapters that are tough sledding. Now some of them I don't even know that are necessarily meant to be taught, but this chapter I think is. You know, two weeks we talked about Nehemiah, and here's the thing, God can't move in a situation until he breaks your heart for it. He can't move in you or through you until you see, think, and feel what he sees and thinks and feels. That's the whole thing. And so sometimes God breaks your heart for something. He breaks your heart for maybe youth, or he breaks your heart to work with people who are struggling with addiction, or he breaks your heart to work with the elderly. He breaks your heart in a way that you see, think, and feel the things that he sees, thinks, and feels. God broke Nehemiah's heart for Judea. A land that his forefathers owned, his forefathers lived, the Babylonians conquered them, then the Persians conquered them, and Nehemiah, second generation slave in the Persian Empire. And he's just there, and God breaks his heart for Judea, a land that's 800 miles away that he's never been to. Last week we talked about doing it scared. And if you remember that sermon title, you got bonus points in the trivia. John, did you remember it? John, go sit outside in the rain. <laughs> Doing it scared. Because sometimes in life, guys, listen, I believe in God. I believe that he's moving in me. I believe he's moving through me. But it doesn't mean that sometimes I'm not nervous. It doesn't mean that sometimes I'm not scared. It doesn't mean that sometimes I'm going, hey, God, what's going to happen here? When David stormed down to fight Goliath, in the back of David's mind, he might go, this potentially could end wrong. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are bound, and they're going, one, two, and they're ready to throw him in the furnace, do you think one of these guys are going, this could go bad. This could go bad. But God sometimes says, do it scared. Do it scared. When Peter says to Jesus, 
Hey, if that's really you walking on the water, what does he say? Tell me to come join you. Jesus only says one word. Come. And it doesn't say that when Peter started to sink, it was because somehow Jesus is going, wait a minute, I need a little more power, power, power. No. It says that Peter began to be fearful of everything around him. But sometimes we get so fearful of the things around us that we forget that who's with us. It's not what's happening around us, it's who's with us. And that's a constant struggle. So today, we're going to start Nehemiah chapter 3. And it's going to be a different three for the road because I'm going to read through the whole book of Nehemiah. Now yesterday I was laughing because people were bringing up different Old Testament characters or different names. Uh, Rob, next year at the men's one day, I would like all of these names to be in the trivia for it. Figure out what they're doing. But we're going to go through Nehemiah chapter 3. But before we start reading through Nehemiah chapter 3, I want to bring up that one slide of the map. Okay. Now, this might be a little bit difficult to see, but I'm trying to give my best visual illustration to follow along with this. Now, if you look at this map, at the top of the map at 12 noon, you see Sheepgate, and above that you see verse 1. This map is a vis visualization of Nehemiah chapter 3. So we are going to read through Nehemiah chapter 3, and you are going to hear about all sorts of people building different things, but what I am telling you is they are going to go counterclockwise. You're going to go from 12 o'clock, then you can see a 2, a 3, then you see the fish gate, you see 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, and we're going to go all the way around, and we're going to go back up to the top again. And so, while I'm reading this, are you going to recognize the names? Are you going to recognize the titles? No. But you're going to see what they did. What they did. I want you to think about it this way. How many of you have ever gone to, like, your, your, your child's school parent night, and when they're little and they're working on a group project and the kid is with you, what does your child always want to show you? What they did. What they did. And you know what I think with this chapter? I almost feel like it's God's people going, Father, I did that. I did that because you asked me to do it. And I did that. And Nehemiah said, yes, you did. And we're going to write it down here so that everybody will know you did that. You did that. And I want you to think about this chapter while we're reading it. And I want you to think about it in regards to this church. And if you only think about it, if you were going to take our church and we we're going to say, hey, this is what we're building in our church, I want to see where you would be building. So open up your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 3. We're going to start at verse 1. It says, Then Elishib, the high priest, rose up with his brethren, the priests, and built the sheep gate, 12 noon. Now I'm going to tell you something. Somebody has always said this wise statement to me. Everything rises and falls on what? Leadership. It's all about leadership. And leadership isn't, well, who's the biggest, who's the strongest? Remember when they were trying to pick the next king of Israel? And they brought out Jesse's sons. And what did Samuel say? Well, surely this must be him. Surely this must be him. And what did God say to Samuel? You look at the outside, I look at the heart. 
We need leaders. And what are leaders? Leaders are those who follow after Christ. So what happens here? Nehemiah says, all right, we got to get started. And the high priest goes, I'm in. I'll do it. And the high priest, who probably has these very ritual robes and everything, takes them off. He goes, guys, come with. And the rest of the guys take them off. We'll start with this gate. We'll build it. And what do you think to all of the people, when they see that, what do they think? I got to do this. I've told you many times, I, I, was, I had the privilege and the pleasure to know Pastor Chuck Smith, who started Calvary Chapel. I remember one time watching him speak at a conference. He got done speaking at a conference. He was walking outside. I see him stop, and I look down. He started picking up cigarette butts outside the church and throwing them in the trash. I thought, holy cow, Chuck Smith is picking up trash at our church. This guy goes, and him and his priests, and they build the sheep gate, and they consecrate it. They dedicate it to the Lord. They didn't do it to say, all right, we'll just do this job. No, they did it under the Lord. Everything you do, do it under the Lord. So they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it, hung its doors. They built it as far as the Tower of the Hundred. They consecrated it then as far as the Tower of Hanel. And guess what? Now the momentum starts. Because when other guys go, man, I don't know if I could. Hey, the priests just started building stuff. Okay, I got to go and do this. Next to Elishab, the men of Jericho built. And next to them, Zakur, the son of Amari, built. Also the sons of Hanassah built the fish gate and laid the beams, hung its doors, its bolts and its bars. Next to them, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, the son of Kos, made repairs. Next to them, Meshulam, the son of Barakah, the son of Meshulbel, made repairs. Next to them, Zadok, the son of Benan, made repairs. And you see that we're going verse by verse, and these guys are going, hey, listen, somebody always joked around, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. And what do they start doing? They start, okay, let's do this. Let's do this. The next step. And now momentum starts going. He keeps going. Verse 5, but it's not all easy. Remember I told you, Nehemiah knows there's going to be challenges, there's going to be troubles. Next to them were the Teokites. They made repairs, but their nobles did not put their shoulders to the work of their Lord. It didn't say that they didn't put their shoulders to the work of Nehemiah. What? They didn't put their shoulders to the work of the Lord. Translated means that they were stiff-necked. You ever try and move somebody who is just really resisting you? And these guys, they won't move, but what happens? The people they're supposed to lead start moving. Good leaders know how to lead. Good leaders also know how to follow. And these guys should have been following. Moreover, Jehoda, the son of Pesai, and Mesulam, the son of Besodeah, repaired the old gate, laid its beams, hung its doors, bolts and bars. And next to them, Melitha, the Gibeonite, Jadon, the Meronite, the men of Gibeah and Mezpah repaired the residency, the governor, the region beyond the river, beyond the Euphrates. They're working away. They're getting this work done. And it's going systematically. And one of the things about work done is that as it gets more and more done, you start getting kind of juiced up. You start feeling like, okay, we can do this. We can do this. Keep going. Verse 8. Next to them, Uzal, the son of Haran, one of the goldsmiths made repairs. Also next to them, 
Next to him, Hanai, one of the perfumers, made repairs, and they fortified Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. These guys are goldsmiths. Perfumers were merchants. These weren't gifted craftsmen. But I'm going to tell you something. God doesn't need somebody. It's not like God's going, well, listen, if we don't have enough gifted people, we can't get the job done. No, God just needs people who are willing to work. You want to know something about the broad wall? Not the broad street wall. The broad wall? Addie, put that picture up of the broad wall. It's still standing today. This is in Jerusalem. This is the broad wall. Why do you call it broad wall? It's 20 feet wide. And all these people who were untrained, who were unskilled, they built it. And thousands of years later, it's still here. We can't even build refrigerators that last more than five years. And God's going, listen, these people that can't pronounce their name and thinks they're unskilled, they know how to build stuff. You can go back to that map, Eddie. Next to Raphia, the son of Hur, leader of the half-district of Jerusalem, made repairs. We're seeing leaders stepping up and leading. Next to Jedi, the son of Harufa, made repairs to the front of his house. And next to him, Hattush, the son of, how do you like this name, Hashabina, made repairs. Malajah, the son of Haram, and Hesherab, the son of Papha Moab, repaired another section as well as the tower of the ovens. And next to him, Shalom, the son of Halish, Halabash, Halahash, sorry, leader of the half district of Jerusalem, he and his daughters made repairs. Yes! Because you know what the thing is? Everyone can play a role. It's not, it's not how much work can you accomplish, what can you accomplish? Can you do anything? Can you lift anything? Can you move anything? And I can just see this father going, hey girls, we're going to do something different today. Can you pick up a stone? I can do it, daddy. Great. And whatever it is, you do it. And you just keep doing this. And you'll guilt all the men. And that's good. Hanan and the inhabitants of Zenoa repaired the valley gate, and they built it. They hung its doors with bolts and bars. They repaired a thousand cubits of the wall as far as the refuge gate. So we're down at the very bottom here. Malajah, the son of Rechab, the leader of the district of Beth Hakarim, repaired the refuse gate. He built it and hung its doors and bolts and bars. Shalun, the son of Kohelza, leader of the district of Mizpah, repaired the found gate. He built it and covered it. He hung the doors with its bolts and bars. He repaired the wall of the pool of Salah by the king's garden as far as the stairs that go down to the city of David. By the way, you know, I heard somebody one time say to me, you know, Eric, there's really no conclusive proof that David existed. I said, first off, there's more artwork and everything dedicated to David, but this is hundreds of years after David lived, and they're still talking about him, and they're building around his tombs, and they're building around his old palace. This is historical details. After him, Nehemiah, the son of Azbuk, leader of the half-district of Beth Zura, made repairs as far as the place in front of the tombs of David to the man-made pool that was made as far as the house of the mighty. Once again, one of the things I think is interesting is people will say to me, every now and then I'll say, Eric, you know, this whole thing going on with the Palestinians and, and, and the Jews and everything like that, who do you think really, like, 
who is who does Jerusalem belong to? I say, well, I don't know, but I said it's mentioned a long, long time ago. And my one friend goes, oh, I know, like in the 1940s or something. It, no, no, no. <laughs> Go back a little bit further. The Jews have been there a long, long time. Let's keep going, verse 18. After him, the brethren under Bavah, the son of Her- uh, Hendad, leader of the other half of the district of Kelah, made repairs. Next to him, Ezar, the son of Jes- Jesua, the leader of Mizpah repaired another section in front of the ascent to the armory of the Butters. After him, Baruch, the son of Zabai, carefully repaired the other section from the Butters to the door of the house of Elishib, the high priest. Now we're back to the high priest's house, right? Notice that he started building where Nehemiah asked him to build, not at his own house. It's always nicer to build at your own house. After Merimoth, the son of Uriah, the son of Kos repaired another section from the door of the house of Elishab to the end of the house of Elishab. And they made, and, and after him, the priests, the men of the plain, made repairs. After him, Benjamin and Hesab made repairs opposite their house. After them, Azariah, the son of Messiah, and the son of Eni, made repairs to the house. After him, Benu, the son of Hendad, repaired another section of the house of Ezra to the butteress as far as the corner. We're at verse 24. We're cooking our way around here. Pala, the son of Uzai, made repairs opposite of the butteress to the tower, which projects from the king's upper house and was the court of the prison. After him, Padai, the son of Parosh, made repairs. Moreover, Netanim, who dwelt in Opel, made repairs as far as the place in front of the water gate toward the east and on the projecting tower. After them, the Teokites, remember the Teokites are the people whose leaders wouldn't do this. They're still going. They finished a section and then they run ahead and they go, hey, what needs to be done? Are you sure? Yeah, our guys aren't in, but we're in. We're doing this. And they keep going. They finish this. It says, they repair another section next to the great projecting tower as far as the wall of Opal. Beyond the horse gate, the priests made repairs, each in front of his own house. After that, Zaduk, the son of Amar, made repairs in front of his own house. After him, Shema, the son of Shemini, made the keeper of the east gate made repairs. After him, Hanani, the son of Shelemai, and Hanan, the sixth son of Zelpha, repaired another section. And after him, Meshulam, the son of Barakah, made repairs in front of the dwelling. After him, Malachijah, one one of the goldsmiths, made repairs as far as the house of Netum, and the merchants from the front of Mipkad gate, as far as the upper upper room at the corner. And between the upper room and the corner of the sheep gate, the goldsmiths and the merchants made repairs. Now, I want you to know that this is how it's organized. Now, next week we'll talk a little bit more about kind of the problems they mean, but everyone gets assigned a section. Nehemiah gives an overview afterwards and says, Hey, this is how it was all built. Now, next week we'll talk about the problems that happened while they were building it. Because there's definitely problems. You hear this and you go, holy cow, I wish the renovation of my house would have went this smooth. It didn't go that smooth. But I share it today because there's some things I want to talk to you about, about this church. The last four years have been really challenging at Hope. 
Many people left for a variety of reasons, and we can try and examine those things and why they happen, but I don't want to do that. I think it's more important to look forward. God is a God who, you know, he says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega who was, who is, and is to come. I want to keep looking forward. I don't want to look past. Sometimes I think one of the things that hinders Christians the most is their guilt of sin in the past versus facing the glory that comes before them. Let's keep our eyes on Him. We can examine these things in the past, but they're not really worth it. God is building. I don't want to be like the Teokite nobles who just wouldn't join in. You see, if you believe in the Lord and you believe that He is alive and He sits on the throne, then He's not done. He's not done here, and He's not done with us. So, we need to build. Now, the three for the road today is going to focus on Hope Community Church. Because you know what? There's a lot of things going on in this world that quite frankly, I, I, can't, I can't physically do anything. Everything that's going on over in Israel right now between the Palestines and the Israelites and all these kind of things, I can't do it. I, I'm praying. I don't want to say I can't do anything. But it's not like I have some master plan to solve it. But God's saying, Eric, I did put you here at Hope Community Church. And if you're here this morning, then perhaps you're part of it too. So, let's look at three for the road on Hope Community Church. And what I think are some things that we could take from what Nehemiah is doing and make it look like it here. Our three for the road, number one principle is this. Everyone should help build. Everyone should help build. There are always going to be people who are going to disagree and leave. And those people tend to go to this church, disagree and leave, go to another church and guess what? Disagree and leave, and disagree and leave, and disagree and leave. You know, somebody one time said, you know, I think that we could really help pastors out is if when people leave their church and they go to another church, that pastor should call that pastor and warn them. Can you imagine that? I remember sitting down with one couple, and they're no longer here, but I remember I said to him, I said, so what brings you here? And he goes, well, we were members at this church, and then we were members at this church, and we were members at this church. And they were only in their 40s, and they had been members at like five churches. And I went... But they said, we have a really good feeling about this church. And it lasted for about a month and a half. Everyone should help build. As a church, we spend a lot of time trying to make sure that you are growing in your walk with the Lord. We do a lot of things. Like yesterday would be a perfect example of that. Um, sermon sides, Sunday mornings, family nights, the women's retreat, the 40 verses that Pam does. The group at Lens House. These are all focused on trying to nourish your spiritual walk. At the same time, though, I think God says, okay, I want you to nourish your walk, but I want you to build this place. Now, what does it mean to build Hope Community Church? Well, one of the things I think we need is we need to strengthen this church. And I'm going to tell you how I think we need to strengthen it, and now I'm going to tell you why I think we need to strengthen it. Areas I think we need to strengthen is we need everyone to be involved serving in some capacity in this church. We need help in the booth. We need help on Sunday school with kids. And here's the reason why. Our booth, if you look back there, it's the same good-looking people that it normally is. It's kind of always the same four or five people. Now here's the problem. 
if we go to church one day, and all of a sudden Rich gets the flu, sneezes on Eddie, Vince gets it, we're done. Right? Next week, I don't think we can do anything in the booth. Right? Because we're that thin. We can barely make it. Our Sunday school teachers are amazing. Mary Beth Vite heads up our Sunday school department. Amazing woman. She is a blessing. But we have five teachers. Julie, is that right? Maybe four or five? Four or five? What happens if Julie says, hey, I'm having a party. I'm flying all my friends down to Florida. We have to shut down Sunday school. We don't want to be like that. Pam is, is, is kind of overseeing the nursery. I need somebody to take that from Pam because between the things that Pam has to work full time and do in the 40 verses and things like the retreat and then dealing with me, there's only so much she can do. We need to build... <laughs> okay. Preacher Pam over here. By the way, you did such a good job with the women's retreat. We're going to start making you... You're going to be the key fundraiser in the church here. We need to build our youth ministry team. Now, I know that a lot of people will go, well, but Eric, we don't really have a whole lot of youth, but I'm going to talk about that in a minute. We need more deacons. We need more people to volunteer to clean this building. We need to challenge people financially to support Hope Community Church. Now, one of the things people will say to me is, well, Eric, I don't know. I'll tell you what I know about finances. All I know are bottom line figures. And right now, praise God, things are going okay. I don't know who gives, I don't know what they give, and I keep it that way. Because I don't care who you talk to. Anybody who starts knowing figures of what people give or don't give, it changes the way you look at people. It just does. Right? If you don't believe that, don't your viewpoints change when you see your neighbor get a really expensive car? Well, look at that. But here's the thing. What they will tell me is they'll say, and if you need more specifics, you can talk to Ed Sturgis, you can talk to Bob White. What they'll say is they'll say, Eric, we have this nucleus, and it's not real big, but it carries the entire church. And as this nucleus gets older, and these people go on to glory, if there aren't people who come in, we're going to have trouble. And you know the best time to deal with trouble is before you're in trouble. And so I want to challenge people. Now, if you, now you're thinking, okay, so Eric, we're going to do all this. Now tell us, you know, okay, this is what we should be doing. Why should we do it? Well, here's the thing. If we work really hard, does it guarantee that the church will grow? Does it guarantee that families will come out? Does it guarantee that the youth program will be stronger? No. But you know what it does mean? It means that if God opens a door and says, I'm going to do something, we're ready to go. We're ready to go. I don't know if anybody's ever watched a show. There's a show on TV called Bar Rescue. And this guy goes in to a restaurant bar, and he'll see what's going on. And most of them are failing, and they're not going well, and everything like that. And he does this thing called a stress test. And what he'll do is he'll go into this small restaurant that's struggling, it's slow, it's not working well, and they, maybe they're used to having 10, 15 people in the restaurant. All of a sudden, he'll flood it with 40 or 50 people, and they start ordering all this stuff, and the kitchen can't keep up, and drinks are made wrong, and it's mass confusion, everything like that. And he'll say, how come you're not preparing? They say, well, we've never had a crowd like this. Well, sometimes I think if God says, Eric, 
what would happen to your church if I put it under a stress test? What would happen, Eric, if in all the chaos, because I'm going to tell you two things that are going on in our world right now, and everyone knows it's true. Number one is this. I'm not pointing fingers, but there's some churches that are going soft. And what I mean is they're not preaching about this anymore. And they've sold out. And they've sold out the things to attract people. And what's going to happen with that is there's going to be people who are going, hey, does anyone actually talk from the Bible anymore? Does any church really even believe the gospel anymore? Those people are going to come looking. The other thing that's going to do, every four years there's a tremendous opportunity for a revival in the United States of America. Right? Because guess what? Guys, I don't know what's going to happen with the election. But all I can tell you is, what have we experienced over the last, let's even say 10 years, a lot of anger and a lot of rage, a lot of unhappiness. I was talking with a friend the other day, and he, he said to me, he goes, Eric, he goes, I'll be honest. He goes, I don't think it matters what happens with the election. We are in for pain. I said, yeah. And I said, that's why I do what, what I do. And he's a believer, and he goes, you better do it hardcore because people need the Lord. And so what I am telling you is I almost feel like God's saying, hey, Eric, you got to get ready here. You got to get ready. You're sitting on a surfboard, and you're facing the shore looking, going, hey, the beach looks great. And I'm telling you, there's a wave coming, and you're either going to get run over by it or you're going to stand and surf. What are you going to do? I'm telling you. It says in Colossians 3.17, And whatever you do in word and deed, do it all in the name of the Lord, Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Do all things, in Philippians 2, it says, do all things without complaining or disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights of the world. And that's what I want. That's what I want us to do. And a lot of people go, well, Eric, what you need is an integrated church software system where people can have this done and this done, and then you figure out where they serve. Let me tell you something. Do you know how Rich got involved in the booth? Rich is one of the most brilliant men you'll ever meet. Here's what he did. He went back to the booth and said, do you guys need help? It's amazing. Rich, can you write down an instructional manual so that people can get involved? You know how people got involved with sip and stay outside there? Hey, I can help with coffee and donuts. <gasps> Whoa! And they got involved. They just get involved. I don't think Libby's ever said, when somebody comes in and says, hey, I'd like to help with kids, I don't think Libby goes, well, there's a 60-page questionnaire, and then we'll pray about it for 40 days, and then we'll think about it. No. Let's show you the ropes. Let's show you what's going on. Three for the road, number two, are you available and willing? Nehemiah chapter 3 shows priests building gates. It shows merchants stacking stones. It shows sons working, daughters working, poor working, wealthy working. It shows tribes. It shows religious leaders, everybody working together. Do you know one of the great things, and this is going to sound really weird, you know one of the great things about 9-11? It brought people together. Because suddenly a lot of stupid stuff that we let separate us, it didn't separate us anymore. 
It didn't separate us anymore. Do you notice how much more open people were after 9-11? Do you know how much kinder people were after 9-11? Do you notice how people were just, there was something, why? Because everything got stripped away and people went, you know what's important? People are important. Community is important. I've said it before, but God is looking for people who are available. Isaiah 6, 8 says, Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And then I said, Here am I, send me. Moses says, I can't go, Lord. I'm not a real good speaker. Lazarus was dead. God used them both. God can use who he wants to use. Why? Because they're available and they're willing. Matthew 5, Jesus says, Let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Do you think Nehemiah was smart? I do. Do you think he was gifted? Sure. But really, I think what Nehemiah was is he was available and he was willing. He was available to say, all right, God, you know what? Tag me in. Whatever you need, tag me in. Many Christians are available to God, but they're just not willing. They're just not willing. I was friends with a man, he's a, he's a Christian man. I, I really admire this guy and I like him. But I remember one time he told me, he goes, Eric, I'll never go to a small church. I said, why is that? He goes, you know what I love about a big church? He goes, I slip in, I slip out, I never get called into anything. He goes, nobody expects anything, nobody wants anything. If I'm there, great. If I'm not there, it's totally fine. And I remember thinking, Talk about a lukewarm, do-nothing commitment to the Lord. And I thought, you're saying that to me. Can you imagine saying that to the Lord? Lord, I want to be in a relationship with you. I just don't want to be accountable. I don't want to have to show up all the time. I don't want you to want much from me, and I don't want to have to do very much. Guys, say that to your wives this afternoon. See how it goes. Three for the road, number three. Because you hear all this stuff and it's kind of like, okay, Eric, you know, all right, that's it. You know, like next week Rob's going to be in there. No, I don't want Rob in the nursery. He'll scare all the kids, you know. But, you know, all right, I'll be in the nursery. I'll do this. Or I'm going to vacuum and, you know, Nate's going to be in there scrubbing the toilets and all these things. All right, great. That's wonderful. But I want to think bigger than that. Three for the road, number three is let's dip our toes into the water. Let's ease in. Now, I'm going to tell you something. We belong to a local a pool, a swim club near us. And when it's the first swim of the year, um, our family had a tradition. And I would like to say that four out of the family members observed the tradition. One, maybe not so much. It would always be uh, Memorial Day weekend. And for whatever reason, it doesn't matter how hot it was outside, the pool we went to was about 38 degrees. And I would line up there, and I would line up with all of my boys. And I go, guys, let's go. And it's funny, there are different reactions. One's like, oh man, it's gonna be cold. The other one's like, this is gonna be really painful. This is awesome. You know, and we would all jump in. One person would clap and take pictures. <clears throat> and she would say, I'm just going to dip my toes, and then eventually, after her lower body had frozen solid, she would slip in. I want to dip our toes. I want to do something. And here's what I want to do. I would like 
to over on this side yard. One of the things that when I first came to this church I loved is I loved this side area over here. There's just something about it. And I remember the first time I came here to interview, I pulled in and my headlights went across that and I looked at that and I went, hmm. And there was something in my heart that just went, that's a place, Eric, think about that. I want to put a big pavilion out there. And I want to be able to do Sunday services during the summer out there. I want to be able to have, like I told Pam, I would love for when the weather's nice for her to have 40 verses out there. I would love for guys to say, hey, listen, for our kickoff, yeah, we're going to meet at Len's house, we're going to do some things, but we're going to meet at the pavilion. And we're going to throw axes and we're going to, well, we can't shoot guns, Rob, but we can think about it. But we could, we could be out there, we could do some things, we could make some things happen. I said to Pam, I said, I always come up with these corny sayings, I said, what if we did Sunday service and a dog? And she goes, Eric, you can't have dogs, it'll just disrupt everything. I said, no, 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 we'll have Sunday service and then we're just going to have hot dogs every week and people are going to bring, and we're just going to eat and we're going to hang out and we're going to build community and we're going to have people drive by this church and go, what is going on there? So then I think, all right, no, we don't really have the budget. Ed's not here. He's watching online going, what is he talking, what is he doing? <laughs> so I think, where are we going to find money for this? I talked to somebody about this and they go, oh my gosh, I mean, you probably need $50,000. Pour concrete slab, build this thing. Where are you going to, how are you going to do this thing? I don't know. But I'm going to share it with you, and I want you to pray. I'm going to just give you one possible solution. Ed, pull up that last picture I got there. Ha! Ah, the old Beckett Country Club, which if you drove by today, everything has been torn down except right behind the building. You see that white structure? That's actually all metal. It's a metal pavilion. It's big, it's heavy, and I've been looking at this thing for five years. And I keep waiting to try and find someone who can get me in front of someone who has some kind of power at that property because it seems like it's in a real weird place right now. And there's signs in hanging in front of it going, environmental what? What did it say? environmental studies going on, which I don't know, does that mean that there's an atomic bomb in there? Len, you're in real estate, figure it out. But I don't know, but the other day I thought, Lord, could somebody give that to us? And maybe we could pay someone to take it apart and bring it over here? And then I drove by, and that whole country club, the whole house in front of it, that building in front of it has been leveled, but there's a fence around that thing. And I don't know if that's because somebody wants it or because it's so solid, I don't know if they're sure what to do with it. Now, maybe that's it. Maybe it's not. But I want to challenge you guys to do two things. Pray, and then just ask questions. Years ago, I listened to a pastor who was starting a church, and they were starting a church where they had to, they were renting a school, and they had to bring all this stuff in and then get it out. 
And he said, we had it loaded in minivans and trailers and all this stuff. And he goes, and it just wasn't working. And somebody at church said, what we need is a tractor trailer. And the tractor to pull it, right? And he goes, well, how much does one of those cost? And I'm so stupid. I'm like, I don't know, what is that, 60, 70,000? Do you know how much those big rigs cost? It's ridiculous. So this pastor said, so we just started praying and fasting, praying and fasting. And he said, one day, I drove by this big semi-tractor place, and I went, and I said, you know, we're doing this with the church. And the guy goes, oh, you know, you can buy one of these. You won't have to pay sales tax or anything like that. He goes, well, that's a funny thing. He goes, we don't have the money. And he goes, well, you're not getting a tractor trailer. He goes, well, I would just wonder if you would think about giving it to us. And as I'm listening to the guy talk, I go, this is why Christians have bad names, really. <laughs> he has the car. He goes, a month goes by, and he goes, out of the blue, this guy calls him and says, can you come down here? So he comes down again, and he goes, listen, I don't even know how to explain this. But he goes, there's been a bunch of things happening here in my business. And he goes, I guess the only thing I can say is I have been blessed. So he said, if you got a guy who's got a license to drive one of these things, I'll give it to you. And you can have it. And I'm sitting there thinking, okay, and I'm nervous about like a steel pavilion. So guys, let's dream. Let's dip our toes in. Let's pray. Let's call people. Let's step by, stop by and just ask someone. Let's try and see, can we get this complex? Or maybe God says, no, you're not going to get that, but maybe I could open up something else. When we were building our old church, I remember that the economy went in a downspin and building materials went down so much that we were actually able to speed up our building project. And our price went down as we built. Has that ever happened in anyone doing any renovation where the price went down? Well, your kitchen was going to cost $50,000, but congratulations, it's going to cost thirty-two. dollars Right. But in God's economy, he can do things. But God doesn't just build structures. He builds people. And I want you to know today, I don't know where you are with your walk with the Lord, but I'm going to tell you this, God wants to build you. But you can't be built if you're not willing, if you're not available. You can't be built if you're not willing to stick your toes in the sand. See, because God doesn't need us, He wants us, but at the same time, God's love is unconditional. So if you choose to ignore Him, that's your choice. But if you lean in and say, all right, Lord, use me. Use me. Lord, whatever you want to do, use me. I was scared to share this message with you this morning, because here's the reason why. I thought, Eric, do you know how stupid you look if that pavilion gets torn down? Or do you know how stupid you look if people go, that's the dumbest idea, we are not building anything over here. But then sometimes I would think those thoughts, and I think God goes, hey, knucklehead, you've been thinking about it for five years. How many more years do you need to do before you're going to say it? When are you going to say it? I was terrified to ask people about a playground. And we have a playground. And I'm going to tell you, it has nothing to do with me because I didn't even want to say it. It has everything to do with him. And so I want to challenge us. I want us to get ready. 
There's two types of people in this world. There's the people who pray for rain, and then there's people who during the drought start planting seed. One, when the rain comes, they go, wow, God provided rain. The other one goes, let's get ready to harvest. And I want to start sticking seeds in there. This week, our church had an addition. Wren was born. Praise God. Bethany is doing well. Baby, we're settling in. Not much sleep to be had. Well, I want Wren to have an awesome church. And I want to do whatever I can to set her up. Because you know what my dream would be? My dream would be that 15 years from now, Ren's out there with her whole youth group, and I'm sitting there with RJ, and we're laughing, going, look at how awesome this is. Look at these kids running around. Look at this stuff. So, let's do it. Let's see what God has. Let's pray. Let's move. Let's ask. Somebody put on an environmentally friendly outfit and go over there and see if we can figure out what's going on with that structure. And if God closes the door with that, he closes the door. Maybe he'll open something else up. But let's figure it out. Let's stand up. The worship team's going to come. We're going to sing one of my favorite songs, Blessed Be Your Name. And I want us to really sing. I want us... I want people who are walking around outside or biking by, I want them to hear and go, listen, I don't know what's going on at that church, but they are rocking it out. Because we're going to sing. Because whatever God does, I always want him to look at us and go, they are ready. They are ready. So if God all of a sudden one day knocks on the door, the hands of baton, I'm not going to go, God, I'm not ready to run. I'm going to go, all right, God, I'm on. I'm going. And I will move as hard as this little body can move. And the Lord will go, I know. And I'll be beside you because you're probably going to trip pretty quick, but I'll be there. So let's pray and then let's lift our voices. Father in heaven, thank you for this day. And thank you for this time. And Lord, it takes all of us. Why? Because you didn't call some of us in this church. You called every single person. So Lord, I pray we would be your hands and feet. Lord, I pray that we would minister in this building, we would minister outside this building. Lord, I pray that all of us have time to do whatever we want to do. Lord, we all are available. I pray our hearts would be willing. And in Lord, I pray that, Lord, if it be your will, that we could have a picnic pavilion out there, that we could do Sunday morning services out there, that we could have women's events, men's events, maybe even weddings on this campus, things happening, birthday parties, celebrations, because, God, I believe that you want Hope Community Church to be active in our lives, not just on Sunday mornings, not just on Wednesday nights, Lord, that the church once again would become a focal part of society. I listen to people speak on all sorts of issues that are going on in our society, and even non-believers will recognize that it is America's turning from the church and worshiping of the Lord that has caused decay in our society. Lord, we keep trying to solve the decay. What we need to do is gather before you return you to the rightful place in our hearts, the rightful place in our society, the rightful place in our schools, in our governments, in our marriages, in our relationships. And so, Lord, we will cling to you 
on Christ the rock. God, we thank you for this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's sing out.